So Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favour of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity he has brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O, o our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, where we too are called to pray, to confess and to intercede for others. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we're going to be continuing in our series in 1 Timothy, but for the sake of time, there'll be some things on the overhead that I won't go into detail. I'll be having verses up there. I encourage you to write them down and then for your own study through the week, you can follow up on some of those things as well. It's been fun seeing Jit and Jan again and catching up on all that God's been doing in and through your lives over the years and we thank God for your faithfulness there. We have continually been faithfully praying. For those of you who have been praying for Jit and Jan, keep going. Um, And I know some of us will be identifying also with working with disabilities. And um, it's... uh, all part of the work that God desires for us to be involved in. Thank you for the accommodation. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Joey and Sarah, for that. Um, if you would like to continue to pray or work or listen, we'll be having lunch together and there'll be an opportunity to do that as well. And Jit and Jan will also be at our Tuesday night Bible study at Beck and Josh's and... Um, if anyone wants to be involved in that on Tuesday night, that uh, you're welcome to come. We'll be having lunch, uh, sorry, tea before 6 o'clock and then um, talk to Noreen and Beck about that. Also, we'll have a visitor next week and also Tuesday night as well, Ben and maybe his wife, Pyong. They've got two little children. They're from SMBC and they'll be visiting with us next week. But they'll be... Ben especially will be with us on Tuesday night as well. So, um, yes, see Noreen and Beck for details regarding that. So Tuesday night, if bring and share tea, and then we'll be continuing our fellowship together. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you again that you are a God who desires to communicate with us and enjoys us talking to you as well. Lord, may we not lose sight of who you are, your sovereignty, your holiness. Father, your incredible grace and mercy. Father, remind us of the fact from your word there's nothing within us that really we can depend on in coming to you. But, but Father, again, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. We pray that your Holy Spirit would use your word and your 
illuminating power this morning to help us to understand things from your perspective. And we ask that Jesus Christ be lifted up and glorified. Amen. By the end of Acts, Paul has completed his third missionary journey, been put in prison in Rome and then released and returned to Ephesus where he met up with Timothy and worked through the issues with Hymenus and Alexander, putting them out of the church. We heard of that last week. They were not faithful to the teaching of the word of God. And Paul left Timothy in charge of the Ephesian church. It's quite possible that Paul has known Timothy for about 15 years by this time. There's been a number of things that Timothy has needed to work through in the Ephesian church. But in Timothy 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds Timothy of his main responsibility. And that was how to teach the people of God how they ought to behave in the household of God. A key message for us as well. How God desires for us as his children to live within the household of God. The New Living Translation puts 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15 this way. I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is a church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. False philosophies were rampant in the church of Ephesus. There were religious views that contradicted the true gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The saving grace of God in Christ was being muddied up a little, a lot. And people were not teaching true salvation. There was a number of other things that were going on within the Ephesian church and we'll be looking at that in the future. So the church at Ephesus was in trouble every way you look at it. No wonder the Apostle Paul urged and even commanded Timothy to fight the good fight of faith with a clear conscience. Say true to the word of God and listen to the spirit of God. Understand what God's word says. That we're in a battle. A spiritual warfare. That we need to be alert. And now we come to chapter 2 of Paul's letter to Timothy. And this is what we read. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, God and godly and dignified in every way. This is good 
and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. Look at verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And let me read verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God desires to communicate with his people. He always has been a God who desires to interact and communicate with his people. He communed with Adam and Eve. But he also desires for his people to talk to him. Because it's an act of worship of recognition that he is supreme, that he is God, that he is holy, of recognising who he really is, his sovereignty as creator. And he desires for us to talk to him. That's our spiritual worship. Verse 1, and I'll read it in the Amplified, it says... First of all then, he's got some more things to say. But he says, first of all then, in the light of what's going on in the church there at Ephesus, I urge that petitions, specific requests, prayers, intercessions, praying for others, and thanksgivings be offered up on behalf of all people. People in the church and people outside of the church. I urge you to be involved in praying on behalf of those working alongside of you and sometimes those working against you. Verse Paul continues to write, This kind of praying is good and acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. God delights for us to talk to him about those who we are living with, working with, going to school with, in the church and outside of the church. Who wishes all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge and recognition of the divine truth. Why? Because there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. All through scripture we read of people who stood in the gap praying for their nation, praying for their contemporaries, those who lived with them. Even the temple was set up where there was incense and the aroma going up was an illustration of the prayers of God's people. Not only in the temple, but the psalmist In Psalm 25, praying for the nation. Redeem Israel, O God. Illustrations of men and women praying on behalf and for the salvation of the whole people of the nation. We see Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 7 doing the same thing. We read of Hezekiah and some of you ladies were involved in looking at the kings and one of the kings you saw this week was Hezekiah. 
We read earlier of Daniel praying for those around him, recognizing their sinfulness before God and crying out to God for mercy. We see Stephen there as the stones were hurled against him as he laid breathing his last breath, praying for those around him. And Jesus on the cross of Calvary, giving us incredible example of praying to the end. The scriptures are full of examples of faithful men and women praying for God's people and for those that are lost. Armin Geswin, a man God used to ignite prayer around the world, had these words to say. Let me read this. Prayer is the lifeline of New Testament evangelism. Prayer is the lifeline of New Testament evangelism. The oxygen for its holy fire, the New Testament was born in prayer. It knows no evangelism without prayer and no prayer which does not lead to evangelism. I believe what he's saying is right. There is no evangelism, there is no missionary work, whether we're at home or whether we're overseas, whether we're at school or in our home, whether we're alongside of our work co-workers, there is no evangelism without the need of prayer. And there is no genuine prayer that does not lead us on to reaching the lost for Christ. If we get involved in prayer, we can't but be involved in reaching out in Christ's name to those around us. So the big question is, the Ephesian church was in trouble. And Paul's first answer was to urge the believers there at Ephesus to pray. Pray for each other and pray for the lost. So the big question is, Why do we need to pray for the lost? Well, it's good and it's pleasing to God. God desires for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me give give you four reasons why I believe we need to. We have to be praying for those alongside of us and those that are lost. First of all, God desires for all to be saved. We see that in John 3, 16 and 17. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. We see it there in 1 Timothy, chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. We see it in 2 Peter 3, 9. It's God's desire that all are saved. His sacrificial Work on Calvary was sufficient for the whole world. But it comes down to personal recognition of that and faith in what Jesus Christ has done. 
we should pray for the lost because of Christ's sacrifice. He left his throne in glory, came to earth to become a man with the mission of dying for the sins of the world. God's done his part. But for some strange and un... I don't know why he has left the responsibility to us to communicate that truth to a world that is heading to eternity separated from God unless they recognise their sin and put their faith in Christ. Paul gave the example. And we should pray for the lost because of their condition. Let me just go through a few things. The New Testament in many places reveals to us the situation that the lost are in. Let me put it a different way. The situation that we're in outside of God's grace and mercy. We're blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Apart from Christ, we're blind. Apart from Christ, we're captive to sin, Satan. 2 Timothy 2.26, it says, We should pray that unbelievers might escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Apart from Christ, we're condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Apart from Christ, we're blind. Apart from Christ, we're captive to Satan. Apart from Christ, we're condemned. Apart from Christ, we're dead. Apart from Christ, we're bound to eternity. Separated from the king of glory for eternity. Apart from Christ, we're helpless. And apart from Christ, we are hopeless. Without understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Friends, we need to understand the condition of those around us. We need to understand our condition, but for the grace of God, not based on anything that we have done to achieve that, but based on what he has done in our place. That's grace. That's mercy. And friends, until we understand who we are outside of Christ, how can we understand who we are inside of Christ? We put our faith in Christ. But as we understand that, we understand those who are working alongside of us, those in our family, those who push back. And it should give us a greater desire to reach out with the glorious message of the gospel because that is hope. That is peace, that is joy, that is eternity, that is life for eternal. And God desires for all men to be saved. That's his desire. 
and he's given us a responsibility with that precious gift. When you bring all those things together, we see the desperate plight of a soul outside of Christ. They're blind and they think that they can see. They are dead and they think that they are alive. They are captive and they think they are free. They are helpless and they think they can do anything. They are without understanding and they think they know everything. They are bound for hell and they think they're going to heaven. Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes to the incredible truth. But God in his incredible love and mercy has communicated our true stance before a holy God. He knows that we cannot enter into his presence based on anything that we have done. So he sent his son, the son of righteousness, holy, who stood in our place. And died in our place. Taking upon himself the punishment of a holy God towards sin. That we would be set free. Friends, dead men can't hear. Dead men can't see. Dead men cannot understand. They can't walk, they can't talk, they can't think, they can't feel. Dead men can't do anything except be dead. You might tell someone who has died to jump over a hurdle... Tell a spiritual dead person that he needs to be saved. How can they understand that? Unless the Spirit of God goes before us and illuminates their minds to the glorious truth of the gospel. Friends, we are compelled to pray that God does his work of bringing understanding of using his word, of preparing the soil for the glorious message of the gospel. So what's the answer? We must pray for the lost, that God would open their eyes, that God would give life in place of death, enable them to hear Create within them a desire to understand. Give them a hunger for for Jesus and the truth of his word. And then grant them faith to believe in the gospel. We're talking about this on Friday night. As we pray, as we begin to go through the evangelistic lessons in the stranger praying for those who don't understand that God will be preparing their hearts and giving them a hunger for the glorious message of the gospel.
God going before us. How should we pray for the lost? We need to be praying for workers. But don't be surprised when God, when we begin praying for workers that God says, you're that worker. I want you involved in my work. Because God has given each one of us that responsibility to be his communicators of his truth. So yes, let's pray for workers, but let's say, okay, God, here am I. Send I. I think we need to be praying for boldness. I think we need to be praying for opportunities. We need to be praying for clarity. That the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to illuminate our minds to the truth. We pray for receptive hearts. We pray for spiritual eyes to be opened. For God's attitude towards sin to be released to trust in Christ. Genuine repentance, genuine faith in Christ, and a transformed life because of what Jesus Christ has done. God's got each one of us here on planet Earth for a reason to reflect on what He's done and to communicate that. With that in mind, let's continue on and share remembrance table of what Jesus Christ has done in our place. His grace, his mercy, his sacrifice. He's done his part. We've been given the responsibility to do our part. Our Father, as we continue on and look at that incredible payment, the holiness of God, his wrath, on sin may we be again reminded of what it took for the son of God to buy our salvation enabling us to be brought back again to be your children forever the blood of Jesus Christ your life we give you thanks in Christ's name